0: In her book, Counseling Through Your Bible, June Hunt distinguishes between false guilt and true guilt. Have you ever thought about those two things, false guilt and true guilt? And to sum it up, false guilt always leads one to or keeps one in bondage, but true guilt can lead one to freedom. Let's look at both of those tonight as uh, we continue this wonderful counseling series. We're gonna be in Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22, verses 14 through 16 to start off with, and we're gonna discuss false guilt. There in Acts chapter 22, I'll just uh, set the scene up uh, briefly, but Paul is speaking to a crowd of Jews that is trying to kill him. That's really what's going on here in Acts chapter 22. A mob of Jews is trying to take him out. Uh, They are trying to kill him because he was rumored to have been influencing Jews away from their lifelong religion, and, and he was thought to have been influencing them to turn their backs on the law of Moses and all they've ever known. And so this kind of sets up the verses 14 and 15 as Paul is giving his testimony and he says then he meaning Ananias who God put in place to help Paul told him told me the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. Verse 15 says for you are to be his witness telling everyone what you have been what you have seen and what you have heard. He says what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. That is timely as we talked about baptism on Sunday morning. And a pertinent question is, is what are you waiting for? If God is moving on your heart and you cannot deny it, and he's moving you towards a step of faith, if he's moving you towards salvation, if he's moving you towards step of obedience, to be baptized, to, to join the church, to serve the church, to lead. If God is calling you to ministry, what are you waiting on? And here... He is specific, Ananias being used by God is specific, specifically speaking to the Apostle Paul who has met Jesus face to face and, and knows there's a need in his heart to be forgiven of grave sins that he has committed. And he says, have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. Now Jesus, as we, and we, set, we set the scene up by saying that Paul, as, as God has now flipped him for his glory, and, and the man who was dragging Christians out of their house under persecution is now preaching the gospel. And, and crowds of Jews there in Jerusalem are, are looking at him a, a with hatred because he is changing the game. He, he is speaking towards what, what God has fulfilled rather than what they believe God has always said. And, and when we talk about Jesus and, and the law of God, what Paul is being accused of is, is taking the crowd that is listening and trying to turn them from the law of God, to turn their backs on all of the prophets' teaching, on all of the Old Testament law. But, but Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to what? He came to fulfill it. Jesus fulfills the law of God. He did not abolish the law of Moses. He did not throw out the Old Testament writings of the prophets. That's there in Matthew 5, 17. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the perfection He is the perfection for which God's law requires. The scripture teaches that Jesus is the sacrifice for which the law of God provides for us. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises that God had ever made. Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises. So the Old Testament law of God and the words of the prophets still stand until eternity because all of those point to Jesus. For anybody that would tell you that you don't need to pay attention to the Old Testament anymore, I would tell you that you need to pay attention to everything that points you to Jesus. And the Old Testament definitely points toward Christ. In the prophets, he points towards Christ and the law of God as he is the perfection and the sacrifice and the fulfillment of the promises. Paul was simply trying to tell them in these verses how God had saved him, how God had called him. And then in verses 17 through 21, He begins to tell them how he has arrived before them. And when we read it, I just want you to watch for verses that could certainly help you identify with your own guilt. Now, if there's not anyone in here that has ever had any guilt in their life, let the man or woman stand now (laughs) as we needed to investigate your life. Amen? Paul certainly had guilt in his life. And you'll see as he gives a brief history of his worst moments that there certainly would have been at least thoughts, remembrances of his own guilt. He says before the crowd defending himself, he said, after I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. Verse 18, I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry and leave Jerusalem for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they, they certainly know that in every synagogue, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I, I stood by, and verse eight, verse 20 says, I kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. And then verse 21 says, But the Lord said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. You, you could label this as an excuse for not going towards the mission that God had called, but, but our excuses are often made because there are, is guilt attached. Once God commanded, the, the only thing that would stand between God's will and Paul's work was his excuse. And, and there's a lot wrapped up here because Paul was public enemy number one to Christianity. He had committed sins for what he had done. Paul had also committed sins for what he had left undone, for what he did not do, for what he could have stopped that he didn't. Paul hurt people. He damaged people. He remembered all of that doing so. So he says, Lord, let me stay here in Jerusalem because these folks here know what I've done. They know that I was zealous for the law of God. Now they have also seen the change in me. Surely that they would believe or maybe he thought to himself, they won't accept your testimony uh, about me out there because I've also hurt folks out there. And they've seen the things that I've done out there. But God said even over and above all of his remembrances of the things that he had done, and even though he was rationalizing how to connect them to where he thought he should be with those remembrances, when God has spoken over your guilt, you move forward. When God has spoken over your guilt, you move forward. Now, that does not mean that consequences do not come. How many of you know that even forgiven sin has consequences? And and, when God speaks over it, that is the truth, and it's immovable. What does verse 16 say? Verse 16 says to Paul, get up and be baptized. Again, as he's recounting his testimony, get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Have you confessed your sin? Have you could forsaken the sin that condemned you? Have you since followed the Lord? Are you trying in all your trusting? Then go, for your sins have been washed away. If you are in Christ, you are not defined by what was. And what was was a sinner by nature separate from God. If you are in Christ, you are defined by what is. A saint by grace who is now right with God. Now that does not mean that there are things and knots that you need to untie. And there are things that you need to walk straight on and walk straight on for a while. But that does not change the truth of who you are now in Christ since forgiveness has come. False guilt happens when you blame yourself even though you've committed no wrong. False guilt happens when you still blame yourself even though you've been forgiven and restored of wrong. False guilt happens when you don't live up to someone's expectations. False guilt happens when you don't live up to your own expectations. False guilt is characterized by shame. It's characterized by fear. And false guilt usually leaves one in park or reverse, as you live in the past and face reminders of your failures. False guilt, and, and take note of this, false guilt feels bad without a base. False guilt feels bad without a base. Have you ever talked to someone and, and had them apologize to you and, and, and maybe they say uh, uh, something like this when you're like, gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then right back they say, what are you sorry for? Why are you apologizing to me? Your, your apology is not even necessary. I haven't even thought about it since you've said something to me. I haven't thought about it since our last interaction. See, false, false guilt will keep you questioning yourself. Because what are they saying? There is no basis for your feeling. You, you are guilty within your own feelings, but it's not because of any basis of truth between our interaction. This is your feeling. And when you feel those feelings of false guilt that have no base, it's during these feelings where other thoughts come like, what is going to happen because of this? Until that moment where the truth is told, you begin to think to yourself, that I've hurt their feelings, and now what's going to happen? Even though they're like, what's your deal? I I don't even know what you're talking about. You may feel this way, but there's no basis. And then there are more feelings that come with what's going to happen now when it's unresolved. There are more feelings that your spiritual adversary then brings to you who makes you feel like a terrible person, so terrible that you should never talk to anyone again because every time you talk to someone, you mess everything up. So now, because I don't know what I've done to hurt someone's feelings, and there's no basis in that because I feel that way, Satan capitalizes on that to think that you should never talk to anyone ever again. And then you rush to the other side of that, and the enemy will lead you to believe that instead of not talking to anyone ever again, if you just do it perfectly, if you just talk to people perfectly from now on, not only will you love yourself, but God will love you and you'll always be in good relationships with others and everyone will appreciate you. These are the things and the tricks that false guilt plays on you. You see, have a feeling of guilt and false guilt can get away from you so quickly because it has no basis. The truth sets free, amen? The truth sets free. So understand this, the author of false guilt is not God. The author of false guilt is not God. Revelation 12.10 says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That verse of scripture in Revelation 12.10 goes on to say that the accuser of the brethren will be thrown down. Notice this. Satan is an accuser. He's not a judge. Y'all see the difference in that? He is your accuser. He is not your judge. That's the difference. Satan's words must be met with God's word because the latter outranks the former. God's word has the ultimate say over what? Over everything. Over how we think, over how we act, over how we feel, even about ourselves, God's word has the ultimate say. On one of our recent podcasts here, some of you may know this, may not know this. For those of you who listen to podcasts, uh, myself and Heath uh, Heath Haney and Alan Ostriski, our two campus pastors, we do a podcast once a month called Bottom Shelf Leadership. And on one of our recent episodes, we were speaking with a a, a man that's a friend of our family named Dr. Denver Betts, and he was a former military man. And he was talking about how he had such an appreciation for a high ranking military officer when he was in the service. He used to look up to this man and, and he said, the thing I always loved about him was he never ever lost his cool when he was dealing with frustration. He never lost his witness when he was within emotion. And he said, I went to this officer and I said, how do you do that? How do you remain calm and composed when having to respond to such irritating people and irritating issues? And he said that high-ranking officer looked at him and he said, that's very easy. I get the last word. That's good, isn't it? He said, there's no need for me to flip out because I get the last word. And what I say in that system of ranking goes because I am the higher authority. The pages of scripture report that God had the last word with Paul. Don't you think Paul had instances of terrible guilt as maybe he crossed paths with, with those that he had once drug out of their home and they were beaten Don't you think there were were things, mental images or smells or anything like that that reminded him of terrible sins that he had committed? But if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no word that is higher than God's. God has the word that is above all others, all others, the opinions of your friends, the, 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 the words of those that you would say are your loved ones, the things that you think about yourself. God has the final word on all of that. Satan is the accuser of false guilt. God is not the author of false guilt. And God used Paul for his glory. And Paul lived with great purpose, great purpose with all that in his past. Now, let's talk about true guilt, true guilt. If you keep reading in Acts chapter 22, in Acts chapter 22, Paul, by the will of God, has announced ministry to the Gentiles. And this throws the the Jews into an uproar because of their deep devotion to Jewish nationalism. I I think we need to make sure we keep an eye on that. Their, their devotion, for most of the Jews at this time, their devotion was to devotion, not, not to Almighty God. Their devotion was to re- religion, to the thing that they had always known for themselves to be comfortable. And, and they couldn't believe, as Paul, who is standing before them and announcing that God would send him to the Gentiles, they could not believe that God would truly love a people outside of Israel. And he told, and this is what is for the life of me, y'all. This is why we need to read our Bibles. You hearing me? Because when the Jews are like, they went into an uproar now, ready to kill this man because he had just said, I'm going to go to the Gentiles and that is where God is sending me. And their response would be, God is definitely not sending you there anywhere outside of here because we are here. So how did they miss Genesis chapter 12? How did they miss Genesis chapter 12 where God told Abraham that all of the families of the earth would be blessed through you, Abraham? All of the families of the earth. How did they miss Psalm chapter 67, verse 2 and 3 that says, May your ways be known throughout the earth, your saving power among people everywhere. May the nations praise you, O God. And yes, may all nations praise you. God's desire has always been to bless not one people group, but all of them. that's why missions is a focus here that's why we have a missions pastor that's why we do give to go missions offering for the glory of God is that big for a local church in North Alabama a dot on the map to be a part of it because his word says that the ways of God are to be known everywhere so we put resources and people behind that to make sure that his glory is known everywhere Uh, missionaries going on the mission field giving up their life to know that God's glory is known everywhere and and the very people that he created for himself to bring blessing into the world throughout the world were the very people that were like don't go anywhere else but here anybody else to go anywhere else but here's a liar and they are after Paul and instead of reviewing this truth in the scripture, the mob continued to press for the death of Paul. In fact, the only thing standing between the mob and Paul was the Roman guard, the Roman army that's occupying Jerusalem. And once they understood that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had rights, in an effort to figure all this out, one of the commanders, they, they grabbed Paul and they bring him before the Jewish high council, basically saying, y'all not gonna kill him right now and, and you guys that are part of the high council, y'all get in here and sit down and I'm gonna bring him in here and we're gonna figure this thing out. And this brings us to Acts chapter 23, verses one through five. And this gives us, if you listen to this, this gives us a glimpse, just a glimpse of true guilt. Verse one, the Bible says, gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Now, even when I read that, I thought to myself, now how in the world can any man say that? that I've always lived before God with a clear conscience. And what he meant here was that I have never been a hypocrite. Even when he was zealously pursuing God through the law, he did so with a clear conscience. He upheld his position and he upheld his convictions without wavering, even when he was wrong. But furthermore, he's saying, now that I am a Christian... And now that Jesus has washed away my sin and I am clean, I am upholding my convictions without wavering. The the big idea here is that Paul was simply more concerned with the thoughts of his God than he was the folks that were in the room. He was more concerned about upholding his convictions before God than his neighbors around him that were doing other things and telling him that the other things were priority. The scripture says in verse two, instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. That's verse two. But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. Man, it is getting, just talking trash. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me? struck like that. Those standing near Paul said to him, do you dare to insult God's high priest in verse four? Now look at verse five. I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest. Paul replied, for the scriptures say, you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Now, when Paul was saying that, he was actually quoting Exodus chapter 22, verse 28 that he knew the scripture that well to quote that off the top of his mind. And and the high priest believed Paul to be a rival of Judaism, believed him to be a rival of the Jews and and to make a statement like, I am in clear conscience with God and I am right with God when you believe or believe to throw out the laws of God. Well, you can imagine this drew harsh, immediate response from the high priest and the high priest said, hit that dude right in the mouth. Can you imagine being in that tense of a, council meeting. But Paul, now now take a look with me here. Paul, who is filled with the Spirit of God, yet, yet still with fleshly emotions, responds a little too quickly and basically says, slap me? How about God slap you, you hypocrite? And he even goes to say, you are, again, the scripture says this, Jesus said this in different places, you are dressed in white robes, but the heart underneath those robes is dark calling him out for hypocrisy. Now, what happens next is is those who were near were like, now, wait a minute now. You've stepped out of bounds. And what does he say next? He says, I'm sorry, brothers. Did you notice that? Now, men, I don't know if this is just for you, if the ladies, if this is personal to you, take it personal and apply it to your life. Guys, sometimes we just need to quit making excuses and flat out say we're sorry. When's the last time we've just said, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. I blew it. You're right. I'm wrong. I fully admit it. Not one of those half ways, which is like, I know I said what I said because you said what you, you know, but I'm sorry. He, he owns it right now. From what I've studied, there are mixed reviews on this apology, one review is, is that Paul knew exactly who the high priest was and he knew what he said because that guy was violent and terrible and so this apology was ironic and the words were intentional and so it would be made more of with the tone of, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize he was the high priest for the scriptures say, you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Kind of with that tone. Well, the other review of this apology is that Paul didn't really know who he was. And when he was met with the truth of what he said, there was guilt, even though it may have not been deep guilt, there was guilt and his apology was sincere, even though his words were intentional. So let me just say this, regardless of of what view there is here, We get a glimpse of true guilt because, take this note, true guilt because there is an acknowledgement of sorrow according to revealed truth. There is an acknowledgement of sorrow and should be because there has been a revelation of truth. He acknowledged that God's word had called that out, that it had offended someone else, It was the truth and he makes an apology and is is desiring not to go back there again. True guilt, we talked about false guilt. True guilt happens when the fault is yours and so is the consequence and you need to try to stop making excuses about it. The fault's yours, the consequence belongs to you. True guilt happens when you've not lived up to the perfect will and the way of God which is why no one can stand in here without any guilt because we all have it. True guilt is characterized by conviction. True guilt is characterized by appropriate shame. It's purpose, though, for restoration and for forward movement. Guilt is there for a restorative purpose under God. It's there so that you will not visit what has held you down and what is characterized as grave sin in your life. Again, take this note. True guilt feels bad with a base, with a base. I've done a ton of things in my life I'm not proud of. And I am try to be discerning when I'm before you as to which of those to share with you openly, amen? But once I was at a stoplight, and the vehicle in front of me was not moving when we had a green light. So frustrated because we were sitting still, I just went around him and whipped past him into the intersection to make my way across a green light because green means what? It means go, right? So I'm looking back at him like, what are you doing, man? Like we got things to do, places to be, But just as I got to the middle of the intersection, someone almost hit me in the side. And I looked over to the side and thankfully that car did not hit me, but that car that almost hit me was a local police officer who was leaving the traffic of a funeral procession. (laughs) I'm glad y'all are laughing. I wasn't laughing. that police officer was not laughing. And I had cut off this police officer and a funeral procession because of impatience and frustration. True guilt has a base. Has a base. No, I, I did not know that there was a funeral procession until I saw it. But had I been slow to anger and had I been more observant like my family members tell me that I should be, then I would not have put myself at risk and I would not have left a family feeling disrespected. It truly, truly hurt my heart. And once guilt settles in by conviction, you have a decision to make between, well, your siren needed to be louder and that guy should have given me some indication and they ought not be doing these things anyway. And parents, if we keep doing that stuff in front of our kids and for our kids, they'll never own the truth. Amen? We have a decision to make between it's somebody else's fault or it's nobody's fault but mine. That's on me. And that day, it was nobody else's fault but this guy's. I grew impatient. I made a bad decision. It hurt people's feelings. It probably frustrated those police officers. And I thought to myself for a moment, I would love to go and apologize to them. But I think the last thing to do in a funeral procession is follow it up by stopping the preacher at the graveside going, guys, I just want to apologize, man. I, I got to get this off my conscience. I broke in front of y'all in True guilt has a, a base. And once it settles in with conviction, you've got to own it. And you have to own it before the Lord first. As David even said, against you and you alone have I sinned. But you've got to own it before others that you've offended and true guilt is directed by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. True guilt is conviction of the Holy Spirit that lines up with the word of God. True guilt results in godly sorrow and repentance. It doesn't just give a, a halfway apology, if you know what I mean. It doesn't just give an apology that's easy to make. It results in godly sorrow and repentance, which is a change of thought, word, and deed. And that's what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, where Paul said, for the kind of sorrow that God wants is to experience uh, this sorrow that leads us away from sin and results in salvation. So God would clear it for us to have guilt in our life if that guilt results in salvation and leading us away from the sin that condemns us and separates us from him. And the scripture says there's no regret for that kind of sorrow. In fact, you can go again to that scripture where Paul says he's written a letter to Corinthians to to be an agent of God's Holy Spirit for a word that they needed to hear. And he basically said this, you need to be sorry. I'm not sorry I wrote the letter. I don't have guilt in my heart because I'm acting according to the will and the way of God. You need to see the truth so that you can line up with it. And the Bible goes on to say there in 2 Corinthians chapter seven, worldly sorrow lacks repentance. And it results in spiritual death. True guilt does not leave one in sin. True guilt leads away from sin, the sin that caused the guilt in the first place. God is trying to lead you away from there so you won't have that feeling again, so that you won't have more false guilt for Satan to play with. God purposes true guilt for good. It seems crazy to say that, but it's the truth. And true guilt accepts forgiveness hear that one more time, all of those things, owning up to it, it doesn't lead us towards sin, it leads us away from it, but true guilt also accepts forgiveness. It does not say, God, I'm not worthy of your forgiveness, don't give it to me. True guilt accepts it because God's will is not to condemn those who acknowledge their sin and seek forgiveness, it is God's will to free them from the penalty and the power of sin. So you may think to yourself, I I don't feel that way. Well, maybe you should know that the biblical truth is for God to not have his thumb on your neck for the rest of your days. That's how you feel, but that's not what the facts of the Bible are. So here's the good news of the scripture today. Through the death of Jesus, God forgives sin. And listen to this. And because of the life of Jesus, God forgives sins. Did y'all hear the difference in those two? Let me say that one more time. Through the death of Jesus, God forgives sin. Through the life of Jesus, God forgives sins. One of those is relative to the state of our sin, to the nature that we have, the condition that we are in, and the death of Jesus Christ and his raising to life. When we believe in God's way of salvation, we have been clear of our record of guilt. Guilt is no more because we have been pardoned by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Sin problem taken care of. But even Adrian Rogers writes in his books, what happens when a Christian sins? And all of us know that doesn't have to be a chapter in a book for us to understand that when you are a believer, you still have a sin nature attached to you. And there have been times when you feel like even though you are a follower of Jesus, you need to go to Jesus because you've messed up today. And because Jesus is alive, And he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And the Spirit of God is convicting you of what he's already said. He has gifted us and given us confession and the opportunity to forsake so that our S-I-N-S, plural, sins ongoing may also be forgiven. We will not lose our relationship with God, but our fellowship will be restored with God because of that forgiveness. So Jesus died for our sin. Jesus lives to forgive our sins, meaning our salvation is a fact and our sanctification is a process. For some of you that have thought to yourself, man, I got baptized not too long ago and God got hold of my life. And you know, there's been a few times since then that I've I've strayed away. Well, we're not gonna lock you in a room by yourself because you're in that room already. Like join the rest of us who are part of this sanctification process. But also know that God has forgiven you and freed you, not just from the penalty of sin, but from what? But from the power of sin. So even though you may say, well, you know, I've got sin that lingers. You don't have to. Because the Bible says that God is working in you, the Holy Spirit, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is working in that. First John chapter one, verse nine says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness or all wickedness. If you are trying to figure out your guilt, I would close just by saying this. If you're trying to figure it out, ask yourself based on the message tonight, what is the base of your guilt? What's the base? Is it the way that you feel or is it factual according to the word of God? Which their follow-up question there would be, how do you know if it's feeling or how do you know if it's fact? Well, what has God said about it? If God has, has said it, then that settles it. If you hold the word of God to be true as his word, there is no word above his. What has God said about it? What has God said about your action? What has God said about your attitude? Are you seeking to know truly? Are you just living within the way that you feel, which is indeed a trap for the rest of your life? That will help you determine the author of your guilt, whether it is the spirit of God or the accuser. I would again go on to say this, as this series has opened up a door for many people to ask questions that maybe they've not asked before and to ask them to the people they trust to give them biblical counsel. If you deal with guilt in your life and you don't deal with it biblically and properly and timely, you can forget serving and you can forget call or God's call on your life to lead because you'll never think you're worth it. You'll never think that God could take you from the place that you are to the place that he can take you so that you can be a blessing to others. So instead of living within your feelings for the rest of your days, trusting that you're justified, you're just gonna struggle till the Lord takes you home. Why not counsel with that and be freed and understand that the freedom that God has given you and that his grace is sufficient even in weakness, amen? Amen. Let's pray together. 7.29, look at that. Let's pray and be dismissed. Thank you for being here tonight. Lord, thank you, oh God, for your authoritative word that speaks even over and above how we feel. Lord, I know there's sometimes I read in that word and I don't believe that I should have all that you would give me. Truly, Lord, I know who I am and who I'm not. And uh, Lord, there are times when your grace is something I don't feel that I deserve, but you give it. And you give it freely, Lord, because of your character and not because of mine. So, Lord, I just pray that uh, for any in here tonight that are betting on themselves or dwelling within themselves, Lord, that they would know that you are real, God, that you not only are real, but you are involved. And you are involved in a great way because you love. And, Lord, out of that love, you have made a way for us to be forgiven and set free from sin. So God, if there be any that deal with guilt in here tonight, Lord, may they factor you in and deal with guilt with you. And Lord, may they stand strong against the accuser that would try to ruin every day of their life, Lord. I pray, oh God, that we'd hold true to your scriptures as a church, Lord, and we thank you again for tonight and pray that you bless us the rest of this week till we're here again. Lord, would you please bless Disciple Now weekend and praise 56 and the gathering and the groups and the moving, Lord, as we try to minister to here, there, and everywhere in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. Have a good evening.